Welcome to Insight, Kingspan Insulation's podcast on all things insulation related. My name is Alexandra and I'm part of Kingspan Insulation's marketing team. Today I have Rita and John joining me. Tell me a bit about yourselves and what you do for Kingspan. Okay, I'll, I'll kick start. So my name is Rita Singh. I joined Kingspan roughly about six and a half months ago and uh, I took on the role as Divisional Sustainability Leader. And the role is sort of all-encompassing and the idea behind it is try and look at all the sustainability issues affecting Kingspan insulation as a division and trying to see how do we address it all the way from raw materials through to the end of life and everything else in between. So it's a pretty full-on and gets me involved in lots of different areas from you know what are the different sort of research areas we're getting involved in to improve um, life cycle assessment, um, end-of-life scenarios, sort of raw materials that we're using um, to the performance of our products. Uh, and uh, Hi, uh, I'm uh, John Ducker. Uh, I'm Head of Regulatory Affairs at Kingspan. Uh, I've been here now for about 14 years um, and I've got a more of a technical uh, background. Uh, before I came here I was a building inspector. Uh, since I've been here I've been an energy assessor and thermal modeller. Uh, and for the last few years, uh, I've been engaged with uh, industry, governments, and uh, trying to improve the standards of energy efficiency of UK buildings in general. Fantastic. Well, welcome both. So today in the podcast, we're going to be talking about net zero buildings. In April, the UK Green Building Council, UKGBC, unveiled a framework for the UK construction and property industry to transition new and existing buildings to become net zero carbon by 2050, in line with the ambitions of the Paris Climate Agreement. Could you explain what net zero means in practice and why it's important? Uh, It's probably worth discussing the UK's targets and policies relating to net zero in relation to the Paris Climate Agreement, before we start talking about the UK GBC framework and its proposals, uh, just to kind of set the context really. Um, The UK signed and ratified the Paris Agreement back in 2015, uh, which is an international agreement on climate change under which each country must uh, determine, plan and regularly report on the contribution that it undertakes to mitigate global warming, with an aim to try and hold the increase of the global temperature, average temperature, to well below 2 degrees C uh, above pre-industrial levels and also, um, if possible, to try and pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase to only 1.5 degrees C. Um, And it's it's quite tough because as far as that goes, we're currently on track, according to the Committee on Climate Change, for probably about a 3 degrees uh, change in temperature with the current policies and... um, legislation that that, that has been in place so that there's a lot to do there. Uh, Following on from the Paris agreements uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change found that trying to limit that global warming to one and a half degrees is possible uh, but it would require unprecedented rapid and far-reaching changes in all aspects of society uh, including a need to try and reach net zero by around 2050. So that's kind of the background to the the overall international uh, level of things. Uh, In response to this, the UK government asked the Committee on Climate Change, who are the UK's independent climate advisory body, uh, to produce some advice on a date by which the UK could achieve a net zero greenhouse gas emissions target. And in May this year, uh, they came back with a report 
um, which overall recommended that the government legislate for a new emissions target for the UK of net zero greenhouse gases by 2050. So the previous target was 80% against 1990 levels. They're now advocating going to 100% of the way by 2050. The executive summary of the Committee on Climate Changes, or CCC's uh, report, recommended that the UK um, overall, as I say, should achieve uh, 2050 in this next 30 years or so. But also based on their respective circumstances, uh, they felt that Scotland uh, could actually achieve that a little bit earlier, so with a target of 2045, and that Wales, uh, due to its specific building stock and circumstances, uh, wouldn't quite be able to get to that same level, so aiming for a 95% reduction by 2050, again relative to 1990. Uh, the Committee on Climate Change noted that the net zero targets uh, would be delivered, uh, i.e. the uh, Paris Agreement's targets would be hit, hit if they actually managed to achieve that. Uh, they also said that it would be achievable with known technologies along improvements in people's lives and with the same expected economic cost uh, that Parliament had already accepted when it legislated the 80% uh, target for 2050 previously. So actually they believe that it can be achieved with no additional costs against what would have been achieved you know, with the prior targets. What's been interesting in, in the way they put the proposal forward is there seems to be something like a cross-party consensus in trying to suggest that yes, we are able to meet the net zero target. So there doesn't seem to be too many um, disputes about um, not agreeing to the fact that the UK needs to be as ambitious as what the Climate Change Committee is saying, which has been quite quite good to see. Yeah, it's, it's overall quite positive from that respect, certainly. Mm. And I think in many respects, industries have also been seen to be quite proactive in this. And I think as signatories to the UK GBC's commitments, um, it's been great to see many industries, manufacturers, developers, construction industry, and many others um, coming together and saying that, yeah, we want to get behind this. We know that we have a contribution to make, and we're fully behind trying to get to some of these targets, which is important. Sure. Um, there's, there's also, you know, the issue of, while there's, you know, the cross-party consensus, there's, there's also a much uh, higher level of concern about global heating and, and a public demand for, for action to yes. respond to the global crisis. So it would be hard, I think, for a lot of the politicians yes. to sort of come out against that. So, but it's, I think it's overall, it's very positive that they've taken this step. Absolutely. And there, there seems to be such a movement, I think, from citizens, businesses, policy makers, advisors, all coming together. There seems to be a real momentum building, which seems like putting us all in a good position to feel as if, yeah, we can do something. We can actually try and address this massive challenge that we're facing globally. And it's a case of, do we know that we can have the policies fit for purpose, along with the right sort of incentives to allow businesses and industries to be able to meet this, which I think would be the next thing. So definitely. Uh, it's also worth noting uh, that the Committee on Climate Change did state, however, that it's gonna, only going to be possible to achieve this aim uh, if there is clear, stable and well-designed policies to reduce emissions uh, introduced without delay. They further noticed that the current policies that are currently in place are going to be insufficient to meet the existing targets, let alone this much improved mm. one. So, note of caution there, there's yes. a lot <laughs> still for the government to do. Absolutely. Can you tell me a bit more about the framework the UK GPC cover? 
The UK GBC's Advancing Net Zero report noted that the, in the UK, the operation of buildings accounts for around 30% of emissions, mainly from heating, cooling and electricity use. And for new buildings, the embodied emissions from construction can account for up to half of the carbon impacts associated with the building over its life cycle. So actually just building buildings uses an awful lot of carbon. Mm, yes, especially as more new builds are becoming more energy efficient, the embodied energy behind it becomes more and more important. There's obviously also whole life carbon to consider, so not just the building it and running it, but what that actually happens, happens at the end of its life, at the end yes, of its life disposal and so forth as well. Mm. Uh, the UK GBC's framework um, looked at the whole life uh, net zero uh, and overall whilst there is general agreement that we need to be looking at that and mm. trying to develop the uh, metrics and the accuracy of measurement needed to be able to actually achieve that in the longer term mm. at the moment it's generally considered to be too difficult too to difficult. do yes. um, so overall their current framework focuses on two main issues really uh, net zero carbon for the construction, mm. which is your embodied uh, emissions that are associated with the products and the construction mm. processes themselves, uh, and looking at making sure that uh, those are measured, reduced, and offset so that overall it comes from net emissions. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, the second part of the framework is kind of really what's covered uh, with existing. Um, building compliance and uh, part L of the building regulations mm. is the operational energy. So actually looking at the overall performance of a building and then trying to reduce that to the maximum effect possible and then offsetting whatever's left. Um, with the ultimate aim of achieving net zero carbon overall for, for those buildings. Can you talk a bit more about the two approaches to net zero carbon according to UKGBC? So the UKGBC have proposed um, two types of uh, approaches by which you can look at net zero. One is net zero carbon in construction, as John had mentioned, and net zero carbon operational energy. The construction element of this in terms of net zero carbon, their definition is when the amount of carbon emissions associated with the building's product and construction stages up to practical completion is zero or negative through the use of offsets or the net export of on-site renewable energy. So as manufacturers, this is the definition that would be most relevant to us. Mm -hmm. When they talk about zero carbon operational energy, what they mean is when the amount of carbon emissions associated with the building's operational energy on an annual basis is zero or negative. So this would mean a building that is highly energy efficient and powered from on-site or off-site renewable energy sources with any remaining carbon balance that's offset. What these two don't cover, which is where the whole life carbon definition comes in, is what happens during maintenance, repair and the end of life scenarios. So the one that's quite relevant for us is the whole net zero carbon at construction stage. And for manufacturers, from our perspective, this would mean things like, are we looking at the almost the cradle to gate option for us is from raw material, how are we sourcing it, our production processes, to then how are we taking it to site. And as manufacturers, we're starting to look at things like the environmental product declarations, which will allow us to um, set out. There is no, it's not a, um, any kind of grading or rating as such like Green Guide used to be. 
Um, what it says is very much, here are the facts, here is all of the information that you need um, based on a specific functional or declared unit so that you're able to compare like for like. Um, but it tells you exactly all of the different um, elements within the environmental product declarations to show this is what emissions impact the product from cradle to gate is likely to have. And for us, this is the important thing, and there are lots of um, tools and platforms available, uh, available to us by which we're doing so. And for us, what would it would mean is really to work with architects and specifiers so that they understand the importance of things like EPDs, so that they're using, um, not necessarily just comparing a product with another product, but looking at the system as a whole to say, once you place all of these products, how is that building then performing? Um, so that when they come to look at the second bit, which is the operational side, they're able to meet that zero carbon target. Obviously, on top of that, we do make insulation products which help reduce the demands Absolutely. of buildings yes. in operation. Uh, and, you know, as one of the, the premium performing uh, products mm. on the market, um, you know, our products will help to reduce those demands further than quite a lot of other people's. Absolutely. And I think it's an important point to uh, really make sure we emphasize is because the payback period for the amount of energy going into making this, um, you get it back within a year compared to the lifetime of the use of that product in the building. So if the building is going to last for 50 years, the amount of energy it saves over that period um, compared to how much it takes to make that product in the first place, you get that back within a year. And I think that sort of information is really important to try and consider so that it's not just embodied carbon is exactly the same as the operational side of it. Sure, no, definitely very yeah, important. Absolutely. So um, uh, the second part really of the UK GBC's framework is effectively a hierarchy of, of approaches. Uh, the first of those being the, uh, the net zero carbon in construction. Uh, following that on from that, you're moving into the operational energy and, and they suggest overall the, the first approach you should be really looking at uh, is uh, an overall uh, reduction in the operational energy use by reducing the demands uh, and the consumptions through design and installation of measures mm -hmm. that, that reduce the heat demands and the power demands. And then also looking, following on from that, uh, reducing the amount of in-use energy consumption by those living and, and operating the buildings. Then once you've managed to reduce those demands, increasing the renewable energy supplies. Uh, again, priorities wise, trying to focus on on-site renewable energy sources wherever possible, because that way you're uh, limiting the amount of losses associated mm -hmm. with transferring energy. Yeah. And making it more resilient. Definitely. Uh, and then secondly, on the terms of uh, increasing renewable energy is, is looking then uh, off-site renewables where on-site just isn't practical, practical yeah. to, you know, to handle. And then, and only once you've done those things, looking at offsetting whatever's left. Yeah. Um, so using a, a recognised offsetting framework and making sure that actually the amount that is offset uh, is publicly disclosed because it's all well and good saying you've got a net zero building when actually it's a very badly performing building and you've actually offset the majority of the emissions associated mm. with it. You could yeah. still claim that's net zero, but is it really? Mm. So John, you've been on the podcast before talking about Passive House as a method for building um, low energy buildings. Talk to me a bit more about how this works as a route to achieving net zero. 
Well, the Passive House uh, Trust have actually done uh, a bit of work on this. Uh, a report published earlier this year, Passive House Route to Zero Carbon, mm. with a question mark, uh, <laughs> produced and, and uh, available earlier this year. Um, and overall, it covers a number of themes, really. Um, Passive House, as we discussed in the previous podcast, uh, is fairly unique amongst current uh building in as much as it tends to actually deliver uh, the energy efficiency that it says on the tin uh, by and large whereas actually there's long been noticed uh, a performance gap uh, in performance between what's actually designed and uh, built and uh, actually achieved uh, for quite a lot of houses um, in term and other buildings in terms of energy performance. When you're talking about um, passive house buildings, they're, they're generally agreed that through better design, uh, through better certification, uh, checking of how buildings are put together, and actually making sure they're built correctly, uh, overall the levels of performance gap are, are, are much reduced uh, mm -hmm. and actually you, you get um, what, what you were actually aiming for in the first place by and large. Um, on top of that, the, the Passive House uh, report, um, overall, in common with the UK GBC framework, says that actually you know, we need to be looking at embodied carbon and operational carbon. Uh, so you know, there, there is a general agreement that you know, it's not just about the operation, when you've also mm -hmm. got to consider how you're putting the buildings together in the first place. And um, sometimes if you focus purely on the emissions, you can end up doing things that might mean that the carbon emissions associated with, with doing so, you know, to save some operational energy, may be so much higher that mm. you, you've gone down the wrong route. Um, so it's important that they, they have covered those elements. Uh, they also, uh, in the report, spend quite a lot of time looking at actually when you're uh, generating power on-site or off-site, uh, there's a seasonality to it. So, uh, for example, with photovoltaics, you're generating uh, a large amount of the, uh, the energy uh, in the summer months when the sun's shining, and the greatest heat demands are, tend to be in the winter months. Mm -hmm. So actually the carbon emissions for different approaches can vary throughout the year, and the best way of reducing your demands overall is to focus on the fabric. Yeah. Uh, which Passive House does with its much lower overall heat demand targets. Um, and, and overall, the report pretty much um, comes to the conclusions that you know that, that's the best approach to go with. The only realistic way really to achieve zero carbon without massive amounts of renewable energy expansion uh, is, is to actually start building houses to significantly increase levels of efficiency. Um, and then, mm use the renewables and use the offsetting yes. as necessary to be able to go the rest of the way. Um, they're quite complementary, the, the, the two reports really, when you, when you read them both. And in some ways Passive House is more true to the whole definition of what we're trying to achieve, which is reducing emissions globally um, from our built environment. Because it's not just a case of, yes, if we have a renewable source, we don't want to just displace it with renewable sources from existing fossil fuels that we're using at the moment and just replacing that with renewable sources. No, the point definitely. is we really do need to reduce the amount of energy we use in the first place. 
and then look at other ways in which, like the hierarchy you were talking about, and I think passive house is more true to that aspect of it because it's looking to reduce the amount of energy we use in our buildings. Uh, yeah, no, totally. And and if you think about it as an overall, you know, UK PLC, mm. actually, if enough of the stock could massively reduce the amount that's required uh, to actually heat it and power it, then there's there's a significant saving on infrastructure. Yes. So you don't need to build as many power stations, and uh, uh, overall there's some sig- significant advantages that can be had there, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So far we've been focusing on new builds. What does this mean for the existing buildings? Well, I've, I've uh, read that 75% of uh, all homes that will exist uh, in 2050 are already built. So mm. the, the biggest issue really is how do we get that 75% down to a significantly low level and then what do we do to offset whatever's left. Mm. Uh, Certainly there's an issue that not every home is going to be suitable for retrofit. Um, A lot of houses, a lot of buildings can be massively improved. There's a lot that can be done. You've got to do so safely though. Which requires, uh, you know, assessing what the actual options are for those buildings, uh, trying to make sure that uh, the outcomes for those that live and work in them is is still going to be good when you've you know had your interventions. Uh, so it's more than just the energy efficiency that has to be considered. Uh, you've got to look at ventilation. You've got to look at uh, all manner of other elements. Mm. And as, a, as I say, a, a number of houses, you know, um, that, that are inappropriate uh, to be changed. You know, you're not going to start sticking insulation all over the outside of Buckingham Palace, for example, or you know, wherever else it might be. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of older houses that there are things that can be done to improve them, uh, to reduce the overall operational use. Um, but it, it, it's a challenge and there needs to be quite a lot of policy uh, considerations as to how those can best be uh, looked at. Mm. Uh, I think you're spot on. This is a massive challenge, but this is probably where we're going to get the greatest return um, in terms of energy reduction and CO2 emission reductions. Because, like you say, if 75% of the buildings that will be here in 2050 have already been built, and most of them have probably been built to prior to 2010 or you know previous part of uh, regulations. We're including then, quite a lot that are being built now. Including quite a lot that are being built <laughs> now, yes. So we're already not seeing that you know all the stuff that we're talking about at the moment in terms of new builds and trying to meet those net zero carbon targets. We have 75% of those buildings that are nowhere near those sort of targets. And I think this is probably where um, the more challenging aspects come, and this is where innovation, policy incentives, all of those are going to be needed. Sure. And what's been interesting is when I was uh, going through the Climate Change Committee report, they are looking at retrofit, and they want to see it as a national infrastructure priority. Definitely. And I think that is absolutely right, because if we really are serious about, you know, we are in a climate emergency, we want to try and get to net zero uh, carbon for our built environment, then seeing this as a national infrastructure priority is going to be critical. Um, we have something like 29 million homes in UK that need to be retrofitted, um, which is a massive scale of work to be done. And I think some of the, the low-hanging fruits, 
some of the easier ones, you know, through cavity and loft insulation and maybe double glazing and things have been done. So now the trickier aspects of what to do with solid wall, heritage buildings, like you were saying, you know, all of those that are off gas or on gas or in difficult places where you can't necessarily just look at on-site renewable generation and things. So these are the, the ones that are going to be needing a lot more innovative methods. I think the technologies are there. It's just applying those technologies into existing infrastructure is going to be the challenge and hopefully the more exciting bit as well. And for us, to be honest, part of that is, is looking into the challenge ourselves and trying to come up with technical solutions. So actually trying to make sure that the advice and guidance that we give uh, can actually help people to, to, to make those changes and to yes. actually go further where we can. And this is why we really do need to work with uh, designers and architects and, and planners just to say, well, how do you make sure that you're thinking of these sort of um, adaptations and changes that needed in the building so we can do them not at individual home level but do it at scale and at um, street level or community level sure. so that it starts to, you know, if you scale up these sort of efforts then you get better return on investment and you can do it faster as well and much more efficiently. Yeah, there's some definite savings that, that could come from doing things at scale but you've still got to make sure that actually each building is assessed and, you know, treated correctly. But yeah, there's, mm -hmm. there's some certainly needs some, some advantages to be had there. And I know that um, totally um, the UK Climate Change Committee said that if we want to try and get to net zero carbon, the total cost will be something along the lines of 15 billion pounds by 2050. But alongside that, they've talked about all of the benefits that will come as a result of this. And we mustn't forget that you know, there is a significant percentage of population that is still in pure poverty. Sure. that are still not able to afford their energy bills. We're constantly seeing it increasing. Um, all of those trends we need to try and address. And by looking at the bigger infrastructure of retrofit, hopefully we'll look to alleviate fuel poverty, help people come out of um, you know, those sort of situations and try to address the current problems we have of people drowning to be able to afford their energy bills and having to make a choice between heat and heat. Uh, and some significant benefits in terms of health and well-being as well. So there's actually savings Absolutely. to the NHS of, of actually people living in you know, yes. homes that aren't damp, cold. Yeah. And, you know, there's, mm. there's some serious advantages there overall. Uh, and uh, it's, it's an area for the politicians to it is, pull yes. things out. Really. And it's been really encouraging to see people like Public Health England, Public Health Wales, who have been producing these reports about how investing in homes early on leads to savings in the NHS. And I think that sort of thinking where we're trying to be more proactive and looking at it's better to prevent the incidents from happening in the first place rather than just seeing to looking to cure it. I think it's great that organizations who are not your usual suspects from the construction industry who are talking about the need and the importance of looking at retrofit and energy efficiency of homes. Definitely. That's great, thank you both so much. So obviously as an insulation manufacturer, our products can help a great deal in reducing energy demand of a building to help achieve net zero. But we have been on our own net zero journey, so how's it going? Um, thankfully, it's going very well. <laughs> uh, so we committed in 2011 to be net zero energy by 2020, and we are very firmly on track. Um, and this is at a global level, and this is despite us doing a lot of um, acquisitions, um, which meant that you know, many of the industries that we may have been buying were not necessarily energy efficient. 
Um, so through a lot of measures which were around energy efficiency, on-site renewable generation, as well as purchase of renewable certificates, we are on track to be net zero energy by 2020, which is a significant achievement for a global operation for a company the size of Kingspan. Um, so that is great. But uh, to be honest, the story doesn't finish there because we're now we're looking at where do we go beyond 2020? So whereas net zero energy was one of our targets, we're now looking at, well, how are we part of the bigger, wider sustainability agenda that we really need to um, try and address? So we are looking at things around circularity, our own sustainability um, credentials in terms of can we do more around energy, carbon reductions, can we do more around um, how we use our materials, where we source them from, what are we doing around uh, waste to landfills, how can we reduce those. There are so many areas that we're now considering um, and each one that we can have a significant role to play in um, so that we really can drive and be part of this whole circular economy agenda that I think is significant because it's not enough just talking about um, how we're looking to reduce energy. It's, it's the whole life cycle element that we need to look at. And I think Kingspan has a massive role to play in this. Totally agree. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for enjoying me. What a fascinating conversation. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to give us any feedback, you can email us on info at kingspaninsulation.co.uk or for more information, visit our website at kingspaninsulation.co.uk forward slash podcast.